2: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. And we spent five seasons of Loose Units the podcast talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories, and the crimes behind them, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units the Shadow Files. The Old Melbourne Jail. Sitting atop the Melbourne CBD, this imposing structure looms large over the city. It's a terrifying place with an equally terrifying history, housing some of Australia's most infamous criminals. Now though, it's a historical site where you can go for a ghost tour, if you're so inclined. Yes, apparently the old Melbourne jail is haunted. Very haunted. But one of the aims of this series of loose units is to look at the crimes and the traumatic events that led to these sites becoming allegedly haunted in the first place. And to that end, Dad and I chatted with Troy Larkin, tour guide of the Old Melbourne Jail, to get a little more background on what makes this place such a hotspot for countless claims of supernatural sightings. So, Troy, you've been at the Old Melbourne Jail for about eight years, and in your time there, in this incredibly imposing structure, you've probably learned a great deal of history about the place. But one of the things that we've discovered on Loose Units, the Shadow Files, is that People tend to talk about places that they deem haunted and those places are usually places where terrible things have happened. Now, this is a prison. This is, you know, like this is an old school prison. Who are some of the people that were interred there that maybe dragged some trauma into that space? I mean, I know that Ned Kelly uh, was executed in the prison. Is that correct?
3: Oh, absolutely, yeah. You you, you want to talk about loose units? Old, <laughs> Melbourne, old Melbourne jail has the loosest of units um, that were interred there. And, of course, Uncle Ned, he's the most famous of them all. He's the mm-hmm. star of the show. Everyone wants to know about Uncle Ned. And um, on the 11th of November, 1880, at four minutes past ten in the morning, that's where old Ned did the short drop with a sudden stop with the hemp Fandango.
4: <laughs> Fuck. Troy? Yes, sir? You are—you have a use of the Australian vernacular like no other. <laughs> Is fair I mean, it is just so fascinating listening to you talk. Oh, boy. Um, so, look, if I, if I don't appear, if I'm just sort of for once in my life not saying a lot, it's because I think this is going to be enthralling.
3: Her Majesty gave us a language and we just can't be bothered using it, so I don't mind. It's You know what I mean?
4: Yes, thank
3: you. Um, well, I'm grateful to be here, uh, uh, you know, um, getting loose with two incredibly fine units like yourselves. So I'm the lucky one. But yeah, the, oh mate, yeah the, the, the characters that came through the old Melbourne Jail because the old Melbourne Jail was, was operating between eight, from eighteen forty two all the way up to nineteen twenty four.
4: The stone that, that remarkable stone, where where did they quarry that?
3: Yeah, so for the first one they built in eighteen forty two, because like, everyone sees the imposing old Melbourne Jail, the the Blue Stone College mm, sitting up mm. there on you know Russell Street. Uh, the first the first uh, the cell block was actually ironstone. So when we got here, we cracked onto the ironstone um, and then we started quarrying this, this basalt bluestone, which is a, because let's go back a little further, about 7 million years ago, most of Melbourne was a lava flow, which created all this basalt bluestone and that stuff's all over the joint. You know, We quarried it out in Laverton and Ivanhoe and we quarried all this bluestone and hauled it down there. And we're like, oh, who's going to chop this up? So we just got all the convicts and the, um, the incarcerated to cut it up in the rockyard.
1: So the prison was built by the people who would then be. So they built their own prison. That is extra cruel. First of all, they
3: got contractors to build it. Um, and right. then once they got it started, they went, okay, we're not paying these contractors anymore. Um, we'll, get the, um, we'll get these um, inmates working on it. So they were in the really? rockyard, fellas in the rockyard, like you would see mm. in Sing Sing prison with big old hammers cracking down bluestone.
4: Hmm. Which makes good fiscal sense, doesn't it? Oh, because my word, a, yes. You know, yeah, it, yeah, in terms yeah. of the accounting, it's 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 a sort of a zero-sum
1: game. But We keep coming up against this sort of labour thing in Australian history because last week, mum and dad were at Mamre House, which is a colon- colonial homestead. And, yeah, there were rumours that there were, um, during some restorations, there were unmarked graves found potentially of labourers who, you know, basically convict labourers who died. And then, of course, there's... Uh, This Cockatoo Island, which was also, you know, built by convicts. I think there is something uniquely... Because the idea of incarceration is really interesting to me because it is... You're right. A lot of it's psychological. And when you walk up the street and see that Bluestone building, it does put something in you that makes you think, I do not want to go in there. Now, having done a show at the Old Melbourne Jail, when you walk in, there's just kind of a series of things... Designed from my perspective, to kind of break the spirit on your way in. If you were interred at the prison and you're locked in the cell and Ned Kelly goes in the courtyard, are you going to hear that and is that a deliberate choice?
3: Oh, you've, nailed, you've hit the nail on the head there, Paul. And here's the thing. They didn't even bother putting the gallows in the court. Courtyard's too far away, mate. They put the gallows in the cell block. Right there in the cell block in 1863, they built it. Um, That wasn't the first gallows though. You were right, uh, partially. The first gallows, the first executions in Melbourne were public executions in 1842, out the front on the street, thousands of people rocking up to have a bit of a geese at people swinging around out the front of the jail. Because uh, we didn't have any reality TV, you've got to understand. Mm -hmm. So get the kids together, put them them on the horse and cart, get down to Franklin Street and um, see the show. Um, after a while, they thought that was pretty grim, and by 1863, as I said, they chucked the gallows purpose-built inside the cell block. Um, they, they did that on purpose uh, because, as, you, as you've sort of gleaned, Paul, the, the whole joint is built on the Pentonville style, and it's psychologically designed. So when you come in the joint, you see those imposing gates. The next thing you see is the church. You're like, holy smokes. The man upstairs is watching me. I better be on my best behavior. After you go through the chapel, the next thing you see is those purpose-built gallows and you're like, oh, all righty, okay. I've got, to, I've got to do what I'm told in here. The way they built the gallows, another psychological thing, they're always working on, always working on your noggin in this joint. Where, as, the, as the trap door opens, it flies, flies open and um, hits the back wall. And instead of having a, a wooden plank there, they've installed a metal bar. So that when the three hinges of that of that trap door hit that metal bar, it's so loud that it can be heard in all 97 cells of the male cell block. So when you're sitting in there, <laughs> you, you start shaking in your boots when you hear that noise go off of the
4: old uh, trap door flying yeah, open. It's, it's incredible. And also, Troy and Paul, you know, from what I can glean, having worked <clears throat> and had sort of a lot of association with some pretty, you know, messed up people in my my police career I find it problematic in that society still thinks and I also understand I mean what else do you do with these people but you know if you're a crim and it's an it's a fact that these institutions don't actually deter criminals because if if you're a crim and you're going to go out and do an armed robbery or you're, or you're going to murder someone the last thing or maybe the first thing you're thinking about is trying not to get caught so it's kind of this weird thing where, you know, most people in jail, if asked, for example, why are you here or, what, you know, what did you do? They always say, well, you know, it's it's not really my fault that I'm here and it's not actually the greatest deterrent, but society does have a major sort of... It's, we're in a quandary what to do with these people, hence Australia being basically a penal colony. And Melbourne today in midsummer is is... Is scary. Midwinter is horrific, particularly if you're up from sort of live in Sydney and you go down to Melbourne in midwinter. You get to experience, and and that's where we get to rug up. But thinking of these prisoners in these dark, cold, wet, damp, dingy, shit-filled cells with possibly one blanket that would never. I mean, it's not like they get get the blankets and take them to the laundry. It's just. It's kind
1: of so terrible and then they kill you, right? And then they, so you've got a dysentery soaked blanket. I don't know how dysentery works or apparently how blankets work, but you've, you know, you're in the prison, you're hearing people getting executed. How many people were executed at the old Melbourne jail, Troy?
3: Mate, we've got 134 swinging around in there. Um, Four of them women out of that. Uh, Poor poor form to execute women. We didn't do that too much, you know. (laughs) Okay, settle down. Uh, but yeah, you, you, you're right, John, you think, you think a joint as, 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 dip, as just vile and disgusting as that is going to deter, and they've, like a, 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 they've chucked it up on the hill too, where everyone can see the prison, so they're, they're trying to use the prison, you know, mm. one as a symbol of power over the people, and two is a deterrent of crime, but mate, this joint had recidivism rates through the roof, mm. uh, recidivism being the fancy word for coming back to the joint, mm. nearly 70%. It's uh, yeah! They they couldn't keep away from the joint. Mm, you think with all the, all that stuff going on, um, but you see, back in 18, back in the eighteen fifties in Melbourne, um, it was it was against the law to be homeless. So vagrancy was a was mm. a thing. You know, we don't we don't we don't want bums on the street of the beautiful mm. new Melbourne. So if if you got nowhere to live, we got somewhere for you. So a lot of people ending up in jail were in were in poor you know already in poor mm-hmm. situations, and we we're putting them in jail. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, some of them committing some serious crimes. So 134, um, you can look at the list of people who were executed there and their crimes. And um, the funny thing is there's this list of 134 people all executing murder, you know, ser- very serious crimes. And there's one crime on the list that no one has been able to determine. We haven't got a, a, a record of what it was that they did, but we do have the, the name of the crime. And that's all we have, and we're, we're all still guessing. So I'm going to throw it in today, and we might be able to have a have a guess or have a think. This person was was convicted and executed
4: for unnatural acts. <clears throat> that's that's definitely um, Satanism. Or... No, no, no. It's definitely um, it's bestiality.
1: There you go. <laughs> there, welcome to Melbourne, 1850. Right. So basically, a lot of horrible shit happened at the prison. And a lot of people were executed. Apart from Ned Kelly, who are some of the people there who were executed in that small space and, and what do they do to get there?
3: Oh, mate, it was... Let's, let's talk serial killers. This is true crime. Melbourne, serial killers. Everyone think oh, Sydney's got crime. Brisbane's got, you know, the Bogo Road. Melbourne is the crime capital, mate. And it has been since back in the 1850s. Uh, we've, we've got our very own black Widow. In Melbourne, we got we got Martha Needle, who uh, who between uh, eighteen eighty five and eighteen ninety four had a body count of five. Okay, so so Martha's um, shacked up over in Richmond. No surprise, and um, she's got a few kids, and they start fading away. Yeah, she's got she's got little little Elsie, little Mabel, and little May and oh, the tragedy strikes, they start fading away. Um, her hubby, Henry, he gets crook as a dog and he passes away as well, sad story. But here's the thing, Martha Needle is collecting a fortune in insurance on these, on these um, perishing relatives, the people that are dropping like flies all around her. And um, what it turns out is that um, Martha Needle's poison of choice is arsenic. And um, she's been taking care of the family members with a little bit of um, with a bit of arsenic arsenic breakfast. And uh, what she's spending all this insurance money on, she, you know, some lovely hats, a couple of nice shoes. Ah, no way. What she's doing is building beautiful and elaborate graves for the family members that she has been murdering.
1: Right. So it's not for profit. She's literally killing them and then using the insurance money to
3: oh mate yeah no she's, she's not hopping a boat to Mexico mate she's got she's got the coin and she's um, headed over to the nearest um, tombstone Smith and gone mate we need a big thing for the family we need a big family grave and and word is she was at the old Melbourne cemetery every week out the front humana 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 in front of the grave oh my poor family and everyone's you know everyone's grieving for her meanwhile she's been doing that she's been doing the do so after after she dispatched the family, the whole family, um, she's still living in Richmond. She shacks up with this bloke Otto. She she fancies this bloke and and he invites him to live in the in the house and her two her, his his two brothers show up and yeah come and live in the house. And the, and the two brothers get a bit sus on her. So one of the brothers he has a bit too much of, of Martha's breakfast and he he goes toe up as well. Oh my god, it's so funny. These people around Martha's going. Heading, heading, heading six foot under. So they, the other brother gets real sus, and then he starts getting a bit crook as well. Um, and one morning he wakes up, has brekkie. <laughs> he's, still eating, he's still eating the breakfast, mind you. Um, he gets crook, um, has a bit of chuck and chunder, and they, he secretly nicks that off to the, uh, to the docks, and the doc does a test on it, finds the arsenic. We find out that old Martha is a poisoner, and she swings at the old Melbourne jail.
1: How long does it take to die when you are being hung? Typically, is it instant?
3: Ah, geez, it depends on how you do it. Like you need it, you need to get pretty professional um, when you when you do that. Um, so when you when you got someone on the gallows, you need to you got your noose. You want to tie your noose. You need between seven and thirteen knots in there, and and the knot of the noose, the slip of it you always see it in, in the movies, don't believe the movies, rubbish. Um, they've got that right behind the back of their head. Ah, no. you gotta get that knot right on the side of the jowl so that when you, when you go fast enough, you go, you, go, you go through the trap door, you pick up enough speed and when you stop very suddenly, um, the knot of that noose cracks you in the side of the head, hopefully breaking your neck instantly, rendering you unconscious and you suffocate to death under the weight of your own body in, in a few minutes. Mm. Not all, not always the case, however. Um, our, our old friend Ronald Ryan, you may be familiar with the name. Um, last man judicially executed in Australia in 1967. Um, he was at the end of the rope um, for nearly 20 minutes.
4: Plus, they shit and piss themselves as well.
3: Oh, and that's the thing. When you go, when you go to the old Melbourne jail, they've got a, a, a later. Um, Little bit of infrastructure they had to put in under the gallows, which was
4: a drain. I, I, I'm just curious. I, I guess that the hangman um, maintained anonymity. I, I take that that would be the case. That there would be someone in sort of civil society back then that that, that was their job. And quite often, these people throughout history, no one actually, up until very recently, pe- families have not known what the, that there was an executioner.
3: There was a couple of different executioners at, who went through their time at the jail. Um, most of them were actually inmates, because if, wow. if you're if you're if you're a if you're an executioner, you earn a bit of coin for doing that job. Mm. So um, yeah, you can make a bit of money out of it. Some of them, but some of them weren't. Some of them were quite proud to be executioners because they, in their mind, they're doing the Lord's work. Mm. There's, they're sending they're send, these people are convicted criminals, so they're they're doing the good job. They're sending them off to the to where they where they belong.
1: Troy, if you, if you are working in a place like this for a prolonged period and there's tours and you're there at night, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you've seen some stuff which would, you know, back up the claims that the old Melbourne jail is apparently, look, I don't want to say haunted, but apparently it is haunted. So, I mean, have you seen anything that would kind of back that up? Word on the street is that the Melbourne jail
3: is one of the most haunted buildings in the city. Like we said, 134 people judicially executed there. Mm. countless others died of illness and injury um so there's there's no it's no surprise that people people uh get a touch of the heebie-jeebies uh when they when they come in there um now when i because i I work in there and and i I take i do shows and i do tours and people are like is there any is there any ghosts in here and, and I, I, I take a tack from someone I met a few years ago. I was, do, I was shooting a film out in Silverton, which is out mm. near the desert, out past, uh, past um, Broken Hill. And we're staying in the Silverton Hotel, highly recommended, middle of nowhere. And we're, we're, we're sitting there talking to the owners and we're having a, about we're a few pints in and it was 11 o'clock at night. I said, mate, do you ever see any? And I went, do you ever see any UFOs out here? And he went, no, nah, God, gee, what? No, 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 no. But there was this one time. And, then, <laughs> and we all went in and there he had. So I <laughs> I take that and I get People go, do you see any ghosts in the old Melbourne? Just say, no, no, no. But there was this one time. And then they lean in, they've got, they've got them. Because people want to know about it. People want to see them. People want to know. Mm. And me personally, I, I've never, in the jail itself, I've never been spooked. And I've been there... Um, all times of the day and night sometimes there have been you know I've been there 11 12 o'clock one o'clock in the morning help set things up and all that jazz and I've never had any major experiences but what I, I have spoken to a couple of people who've had a couple of funny experiences. Um, one of the people who work in the shop and this was this was quite recently only about a year or so ago um, she was closing up in the, in the evening and she walked in from the shop into the main cell block. And she just happened to glance down and on, on the, um, the stone floor uh, were damp footprints, human footprints, not, not shoe prints, but footprints. And they were still like, you know, if you'd taken your shoes off and your feet were, were warm, they would leave like a, you know, um, a, a damp sort of imprint. And she saw these footprints and there was no one else in the jail. They'd just closed already. And she turned tail. She was like, "That, that's too much for me. That's too much for me." Oh,
4: that's, creepy. that's creepy.
3: And one thing I've seen that I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of logic, Paul, and I try to, you know, figure out how things could be logically explained. But um, there was a, a tour guide, historian working there one day, and he, and he goes, "Mate, come, come and have a look at this." And I said, "What do you got?" And he pulls out his phone, and he goes, "I've just, I was just, I just took a school through, through on a tour." And he opens up his phone and he opens up his camera roll. And he goes, look at the last photo I got on my camera here. And he clicks the photo and it opens up. And it's a photo of himself taken with the school group as he's going up the stairs from a distance. And he goes, I didn't take this photo. Piss off. off. This camera, this this photo, this, this camera, this phone was in my pocket how is there a photograph of me from a distance? And I went, I went, all right, mate, you can get the hell out of here now. Mm,
4: that's fascinating.
3: <laughs> Hit the bricks, pal. And I know, and, because and usually people are going, oh, oh, I felt a funny feeling in the jail. I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's a pretty creepy looking place. Uh, but that one, I couldn't explain. I couldn't explain that one.
1: If people were to ask you, would you say it's possible that it is haunted?
3: Well, the first thing you have to do is believe in ghosts. That's the first hmm. thing. And I'm, I'm, as I said, a man of logic. I'm, I'm naturally skeptical, but, I, but I'm open. I'm open. Okay. So I, okay. you could say there's, you know, people say, oh, I feel an energy in here. When you come here, there's a notorious cell. There's the haunted cell on the first level, number 17. A lot of people ask me, number 17. And, and what, what people have, what have I've heard, what I've heard, people go in there, they, they smell lavender for no reason. Um, More people have fainted inside that cell than anywhere else in the jail. You talk to the people who do the night tours, the ghost tours, they say, Mm. you know, we get fainters every, every night we get, you know, people who walk in and, but, you know, as you know, you've been there, Paul, it's, it's very, you know, it's creepy, it's imposing, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know pressurizing sort of experience so people get a bit hyperventilated and can keel over that's how i explain that but this one room yeah a lot of things have happened in there and i tested it i tested it myself they said hey you know number 17 so i was there after hours one time and i went in the cell and i closed the door in the dark and i sat there and i went hello anybody there
4: nothing for me unfortunately I would say that a ghost was looking down at you Yes, thinking yes. this guy is a complete tosser and we're yeah. going to give him no... Yeah, he's not worth we're it. Giving him nothing.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's not worth it. Oh. Yeah, he's not worth, he's not worth the trouble. Not worth the haunting. The only, the only, the only strange experience that personally happened to me, you know, there, there's possible logical explanations, but I don't have one, is not in the jail itself, but the adjacent building, which is the old, um, the old city watch house. And you might have have you been in there, John? You're you yeah, a yeah. member in Victoria, so you've been in there. I've yeah. been there. Yeah,
4: I, I find that place quite disturbing on many levels. It's
3: and and it was Melbourne's Melbourne's primary one of one of Melbourne's primary remand centres up to 1994, so very recent. And mm. you'd know, John, remand not a pleasant place to be. No. And you know, not that there was. People being executed in this building, or you know, the, you know, things happen in there. A lot of violence, obviously. You know, a lot of mm. unhappy people. Well, they didn't just have execution; they had corporal punishment in the old jail. They were they were flogging people with the cat of nine tails mm. in the old jail, right God. there in in the cell block. They were flogging them, you know. And in Victoria, you could get fifty lashes for 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 making too much noise. You make too much noise, you'll get ten lashes.
4: And imagine being in a cell on a cold, terrible depressing day and lis- listening to to people just screaming as they're just lashing them and and you know it's 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 it the, the, the person that would carry out that and I dare say more so than the executioner but the guy that can stand there and deliver 50 lashes and and would have to be a sadist
3: well that was the thing that the the person who did the flogging he had the greatest job title I ever heard he was called the flagellator. Mm. Um, I might put the, get that on my resume part mm. time barista casual flagellator um, but the flagellator he 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 wanted to be more secretive than the executioner because if you're an executioner the bloke you dispatch he's not coming back mm, but if yeah. you flog a bloke you might catch up with him sometime and he might not be too happy with
1: you mm. 100% it just sounds like this place was just it was just like a litany of cruelty oh and it never terror, stopped frankly, but... and
3: especially with floggings Like, and the thing is to get 50 lashes that might take two or three years to get 50 lashes. Because if they're flogging you, uh, a good flagellator, mate, if he's flogging you, he can get through to your ribs in fewer than 10 lashes.
1: It's, it's really no wonder people say this place is haunted given the amount of stuff that happened there. I mean, I'm, it sounds like even you, a skeptic, has been slightly, not won over, but you, know, you do believe that it's a possibility.
3: I'll give you the one experience I had in the watch house where you guys did your show. Because I, right. I, I do a regular show there on a, on a, on a, on a Friday night and mm. it's a lock-up experience. So there's an there's a actor playing a copper who rides out, rifles you up, locks you up. Then you get locked in a cell with a nutcase, incidentally played by yours truly. And then we have a cat and mouse situation with the audience where we, we try to escape. And um, so while the other actors out there um, giving them the rouse up, I'm sitting in cell number six in the dark by myself waiting for people to arrive and i know paul you you've, you've had a similar experience you found it quite calming and and usually mm. usually i'm the same I, I sit there i go it's it's you know dead quiet there's nothing going on i'm not feeling anything creepy but here's the experience i had one night and it only ever happened once um both m- myself and the other actor have got a little a little a little radio a little two-way radio on us right or a little you know a little um Walkie-talkie, you might say, mm-hmm. and, and we use that just to communicate back and forth. And we've got a couple of codes on there that we use. So we use it for a part of the show in character. You know, I'm I might play. I play another copper. Go, All right, yeah, haul them in. You cell block number two. I'll get them in here. Um, and the code is if we use each other's first names, actual names, then there's an issue. There's something wrong, or there's an issue. The show might need to stop. There might someone might be unwell, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and we've never had to use it. And, and one night I'm sitting there in the cell, I sit in there like 20 minutes in this cell waiting for the audience to arrive and my, my radio starts crackling. And I'm like, oh, here we go, I thought. And I hear this, and it, I've been using these radios at that time for about five years and not once in five years, because we're on the, there's usually two or three radios on site, all on the same channel. Never, never any interference on those, I've never any external interference from any other radio, never. My radio's crackling, and I thought, oh, the other actor wants to contact me. And I went, hello, you know, over. And I hear this, Troy, Troy. And I went, oh, shit, something has gone wrong. And I went, but I wasn't sure, because it was really crackling. And I went, uh, Sergeant Henderson here to Sergeant uh, Croft, are you calling me? and And the other actor went, Sergeant Croft to Sergeant Henderson, no, are you calling me? And I went, you're joking. Because I sat there and I swear to this day that I heard my own name said twice over the crackling radio.
5: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
0: To find out if it's right for you
3: and never have I experienced any any sort of interference on the radio before or since. And since that time, I I still do the show, but I get a little a little touch of the heebie-jeebies. That's all I'll say.
1: Okay, so that's the perspective of someone who works at the jail. But back in 2014, sketch group Watson debuted an immersive show at the Old Melbourne Jail during Comedy Festival. This sold out show was called Who's Afraid of the Dark and received critical acclaim for taking audiences through the jail itself very, very late at night. So do Watson's Adam McKenzie and Tegan Higginbotham have any accounts of the unnatural from their time stalking the halls of Australia's most haunted prison? Okay, so Troy has just explained to us, Dad, that he thinks, you know, it's entirely possible that the Old Melbourne Jail is haunted. And so now we're going to talk with Adam McKenzie and Tegan Higginbotham, a.k.a. Watson. Now, Watson did a show in the Old Melbourne Jail. Basically, it was a while ago and you did a show there and it was kind of like a horror-themed comedy inside the Old Melbourne Jail.
6: Yeah. At the important the important thing to mention is that it was roaming as well, so it was the whole watch house. It wasn't the um, old Melbourne jail, it was the actual watch house, watch house that's kind of right next to it.
1: And it's uh, that's actually where Ned Kelly was executed, so, you know, a really fun place to perform.
6: And, surprisingly, they, it was in use right up until the 1990s, and this place looks like it's straight out of, like, you know, colonial... Australia cuz it
1: is. Oh, I guess what I want to ask you both of you point blank off the back of Troy's admission that this might all be possible that this haunting stuff might be possible. I'll start with you, Tegan. Do you think ghosts are real?
7: Look, I, you know, as people will know, I've got a fair bit to do with this show and I'm very aware of all of the episodes that have come before this episode. I'm really aware that you've spoken to some incredible guests who've shared incredible stories and I don't want to respect them, but I think it's bullshit. (laughs) Um, I'm so sorry. No, look, Mm. bullshit's a bit far. I spent a lot of time without a McKenzie in that jail. Yeah. We spent an entire fringe season and we spent an entire comedy festival season. So that's like a couple of months of nights, I'll point out as well. Not mm-hmm. days, but nights.
6: And we were there by ourselves as well. Yeah. Like we, we weren't, there weren't representatives from the jail there.
7: No, I mean, tell <laughs> yeah. them, Adam, what you had to do at the end of every night, which would have been at about 12.30 in the evening.
6: Yeah, myself or our, our producer, either one of us, whoever was doing it, uh, would have to lock up. Um, and they actually gave us the, the, the brass keys because this thing is so old, they actually have original keys to the doors that you have to use. And we were told not to lose them because they cost very uh, a lot of money to replace. But yeah, you'd be by yourself and have to shut out all the lights. It was re- It's a really crazy place to be in by yourself.
7: Yeah. And not only though you had to lock up, there's apparently some weird thing where people like challenging themselves to stay in jails so before we locked up there had to be someone go around and check every single cell every single dark abandoned cell to make sure that nobody was hidden literally in the dark corners and even after doing all of those sorts of things and knowing the history of the venue and i'm i'm gullible I will believe a lot of shit. But uh, no, I did not feel anything other than the vibes of a sweet, sweet, successful comedy festival season.
6: (laughs) Award winning.
4: So, Tegan um, and Adam, a question Mm. I have for both of you. Did you want to discover that it was haunted?
6: Absolutely, 100%. I'm, I'm unlike Tegan. I actually believe in ghosts. Uh, I think that it's absolutely possible that there is something that we don't understand. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't believe in science or anything like that, but I'm also saying that like there might be something that we can't understand that is quite real. And Tegan?
7: Oh, no. It's like I said. I'm... I, I would like to believe. Actually, I'm open to it and I would like to believe. And I'd like to be proven that there is something more there because I find that interesting. But um, no, I've I've never been presented with anything yet beyond somebody telling me that they had a feeling. And just knowing how powerful the human mind can be, there are just too many other ways that I can chalk that up to imagination or creativity or gullibility or all the number of things. But, you know, Adam, um, we had somebody... Yeah in Hmm. the show with us it's it's really complicated because we had somebody who was in the show with us who did have an experience and i i it's it's hard because i both don't believe but i also completely believed that she was experiencing something i didn't think she was making it up
6: yeah it was our castmate um natalie homewood uh who was um we were in a rehearsal as the night before remote to open the show for the first time and um Our actors, our fellow actors, some of them, their roles were to sit in a dark cell and haunt the cell as audience members would wander past the cell. But it was so dark in there you couldn't see. And so we had actors literally sitting inside doing some super creepy stuff. Like, I think Nat was, like, talking like a kid or something. No, she was the bride.
7: We dressed her up like a bride. Yeah, she was crying in there or something. Yeah, and, and she'd have to sit in there for 20 minutes or something, not just a few minutes, but in the dark for 20 minutes.
6: And, yeah, and in this rehearsal we all came back and you know, I called out that the rehearsal was finished because we had actors spaced out throughout the whole place. I went, all right, rehearsal's finished now, and everyone came back into the main space and everyone was like, oh, that felt good, that felt really good. And then that's like, yeah, yeah, I saw a ghost, uh, but it was, yeah, apart from that it was great. And we were like, what? And she's like, yeah, um... I didn't know that the rehearsal had finished and um, someone came into the door of the cell and I thought it was me. She thought it was me mm. saying that the rehearsal had finished and that's when she heard my voice from way, way away say, all right, guys, the rehearsal's finished and apparently this uh, this presence moved off out of the doorway.
7: But then apparently the reason that we became quite invested and It's such a long time since I've thought about this, Adam, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Nat then said that whatever this spirit was or entity or ghost, it came home with her and she had to seek help in getting this thing to move on from her house because it attached to her. And I seem to recall her saying that it wasn't an angry force. It wasn't trying to hurt her, but it, it stuck to her.
6: Yeah, and apparently she's been quite uh, tuned to this sort of stuff since they, she was a kid. I think her sister or one of her siblings and her were quite tuned into this stuff. Uh, so, and you know, this is this is her ex- um, expressing this thought to us. And um, I, I'm not one to um, you know be cynical uh, when one of my castmates is being quite. Um, sincere and earnest you know what i mean she wasn't she wasn't being sensational about it she was just like going oh this is what happened she wasn't trying to push her beliefs on us she was just saying what her experience of it was but what really grabbed me was she didn't just believe this she you could clearly see that she had an emotional reaction to the to the experience she had and that felt very real
7: what was interesting and this actually makes me think of you john is that we then had to approach it rather like you would a workplace incident or an injury. It's like, well, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we,
6: we, 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 we kind of we put... We wrote it... up an incident report. <laughs> uh, yeah.
7: uh,
6: and, and what type of entity was it? Was it ectoplasm? Was there any ectoplasm?
7: And were you wearing your safety helmet at the time that it attached itself to you? Because we've told you and we've told you again.
6: Yeah. So that's pretty creepy. I know, but I, I figured that, like, if I were to be haunted, like if I were to see a ghost... I would have seen a ghost in that watch house. Mm. Like we spent time and there's a padded cell in there. Mm. And yes, one time we did accidentally lock 30 people <laughs> inside the padded cell without their knowledge um,
7: uh... <laughs> You've really got to stop saying this out loud because we could have been all very sued, Adam. We could have been and so look, sued. Just long
6: as just long as we're not recording this and you're not putting this out into some like popular podcast. No, we'll no, no.
1: Fine. This is just a f- casual <laughs> phone chat with no consequences yeah, at all yet. Fine. No footprint. And look,
6: yeah. they weren't locked in there for long and they didn't know about it. It's just that the, that brass key is, got a bit stuck in the lock. Right. And what was what was wrong was that we actually had an actor in there Playing a spirit, an angry serial killer, uh, and he got quite method when um, his scene ended, but the door didn't open, so he stayed in character and and just got more and more insane.
7: Adam, you're forgetting the best bit. I was, you, I was in the room, so I was in yeah, the was room outside. with the actor. <laughs> And This is Danny Alder, right? This is Danny Alder, incredible actor. actor, and Adam's right. He he realised that we couldn't get out, and the, as an actor had a choice. Do I break character or do I just keep going further? And he went further, and he kicked the little gas lantern that was at his feet, which mm. knocked over. It was
6: like a fake gas lantern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's
7: not like we're
6: not going to we And we can. burnt 30 people alive. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> No. And I'm the bad guy?
7: <laughs> no, he did. it was electronic. But anyway, it went out. So not only am I by the door going, oh, f we can't get out of here, but we've just descended into complete blackness.
6: Uh, I, I, th- I think the term is madness,
7: Tegan.
4: <laughs> L- now listen, Tegan yep. and Adam, you don't necessarily have to be at nighttime in a spooky place to be shit scared. Mm. I mean, Tegan, for example, have you not during the day, just in a weird moment, had this sense of something absolutely creepy. Has that never happened to you?
7: No, I I can't lie. It has happened. Um, One of those times was in a church, but let's not dig into that. Um, I I, I hear where you're coming from. I think maybe it's even somewhere in the middle i think that maybe there are moments where people have these genuine experiences but i do hear a lot where i truly believe that these these moments or feelings could be explained away in a lot of other ways and at the moment i just haven't seen anything convincing enough uh to really tip me but yeah i have i have had that feeling um And I've had feelings about certain rooms that I've just, you know, had in the back of my mind. There was one room in one of the houses I used to live in when I was really little that as a kid, I would always run through this particular small corridor bit. I would always run because I hated it in there. And years later, I found out one of my sisters felt the same. Now... That could be because there was something in there, or it could be because in that one room the light switches were too high for us, so it was often dark, and it was colder than the rest of the house. So dark, cold. We don't want to be in there. The um, then that's when imagination gets running.
4: Yeah, and what about and what about you, Adam?
6: Well, the the scariest thing that's ever happened to me, I think, is probably the most explainable. But um, I uh, have. Uh, more than once but once in particular when I was like in my mid-20s had an experience where I woke up with the feeling of an entity pushing against my chest and and uh not letting me wake up so I had a like a waking nightmare if you will like and it was incredibly terrifying to be uh conscious but um paralyzed Mm -hmm and uh, and and have something that was in complete control of like you know me being able to get out of the situation and eventually i kind of kind of woke up but I, even though i was awake but my basically my body just i got control over my body and i i remember thinking that like it wasn't the feel it wasn't a it wasn't like a physical thing that happened to me it felt like there was an external something in the room trying to stop me moving and i to this day i can recollect that that like morning oh well, you know it was early morning uh and how terrifying it was and so yes you can absolutely scientifically explain that that that's part of the sleep paralysis but that's not how it felt and You know, I I can imagine any number of people across the history of their entire civilization, like, kind of experiencing something like that and not even having the scientific language to even explain it away. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, yes, yes, that you can explain some things away, but uh, honestly, in terms of how it felt, Mm -hmm. like, I completely understand when someone says to me, I felt a presence, I saw a ghost, I, whatever it is. Like, the last thing I'm going to do is invalidate that experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, think about the old Melbourne jail, right? So there was a point in the show where pretty much every performer I knew where they were. And I knew that you uh, you both, Adam and Tegan, and Liam, who was doing the show with you, were up yeah. in the kind of courtyard area up the top of the watch house, right? So I'm down the other end in kind of, you know, period clothing, covered in blood and grease paint, waiting for my scene. And I know that there's no- That wasn't even
6: part of the show, that was just-
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I just dress like that in everyday life. But I'm down there lurking, and I know there's no one in my part of the prison. And I, for two nights in a row, heard a knocking, like just, just a knocking. Uh, It was very loud and it was very sudden. And I knew that there was no one near me. So I kind of did a bit of recce and, you know, made sure that everyone was in their cells. And uh, on the third night, I was starting to go, Oh shit, it's happening. I'm actually I'm I'm encountering some sort of presence this mm. is great and I had that thrill of I don't believe in this stuff but God can you imagine if it was real can you imagine the stories I'm gonna have and then yeah. I realized it was coming from the roof and I realized that they put a, um an amp in the roof and it was uh, getting feedback at the same time each night right and the and the and the speaker was popping if I hadn't discovered that I'd be here right now telling you the story about the entity that was knocking because this was just above uh, that one cell yep. that Troy pointed out was haunted that everyone faints in now now Now, I would have carried that through if I hadn't kind of poked and interrogated. And I guess the question is, is it more fun to go through life kind of not pushing through and,
7: you know. Look, there is a reason that Adam and I have done two horror-themed shows Mm. across several festivals. It's because this shit is awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, it's interesting and it's... Sometimes it's just fun to feel something, and in our case as well. <laughs> Fuck, that doesn't sound well, good. <laughs>
6: there's, really, there's a lot of revelations here. Tegan's ashing cigarettes on her arm right now. <laughs> yeah,
7: yeah, put the razor
6: away.
4: Now, Tegan, 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 oh. I, I distinctly recall you telling me something that I found incredibly fascinating.
7: Okay, I'll tell you it, and Adam will share the story with them, but you know where I stand, so I'll, I'll just share the story, and this is just what happened. So, we did this show in the old Melbourne jail. Technically, we didn't have a capped number. We could have as many audience in there as we wanted. But given what Adam said, which is that we were taking the audience between rooms, and sometimes these corridors are really narrow, and putting people into cells which are even smaller, we decided that the lucky number, I think it was something like 42, Adam, if, yeah, it, it was 42. Oh, and our producer was really trying to be very firm on that number just because she wanted the show to operate and be slick 42 people so no matter if we had reviewers they weren't allowed in we were capped at 42 and just to help everybody paint the picture the show was really successful and we were selling out every night so 42 (laughs) people um, were, were allowed in and I remember one night after the show our producer came over to us and was like guys come on I need you to stick at 42 and we're like we, we were, we we're sticking at 42, there was nobody else. She's like, did you add any friends to the door? Was that what happened? We said, no, we only allowed 42 people in. She's like, okay, I'm so sorry, I just, I thought I counted 43. We're like, no, nah, there was only 42. The next night, same thing. She's like, guys, really, I'm stressing, 42. And we said, Jules, there's, there's only been 42 people in this room. I'm the one standing at the door, literally letting them in. It's 42. And then the weirdest thing happened. This kept on going on for a few nights and I can't explain this, but we did the show and there was one bit where I was standing at the back of the room and Adam and Liam would be performing and I'd be standing there and I counted and there were definitely 43 people in there. And I don't know how to explain it. This kept happening where we would let 42 people in.
6: And weirdly, the same guy with a Victorian-era top hat was in three (laughs) nights in a row. (laughs) And it was he was you like you couldn't sit behind him, like it, was, like it was like who's this dickhead wearing a top hat? But it turns out the top hat serial killer <laughs> stayed in the watch house in nineteen 19- 20s. Anyway.
1: What was, his, what was his means of killing people, Adam? What was this uh, serial killer's... Con- there
6: were razor blades in the top hat, Paul. I thought that was...
1: <laughs> oh, right. I thought it was that he kept a gun in a top hat. That, was, that wasn't was very creative.
6: There it was, it was, was a lot of room in there.
1: He put it over your head just before you were crossing the road and you'd walk into traffic. It was <laughs> diabolical.
6: The thing, about, the thing about it is, I mean, we're really talking about can a place hold the energy of a person Mm. you know what i mean Mm. can it can it hold the trauma of an event that happens in that place and i think you'd be hard-pressed to say no to that like anyone who's ever been in a place that has had an incredibly hardcore traumatic event happen in it like the 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 impression of that event is is left on the actual physical space of that environment Absolutely, 100%. This
7: is what confused me though, Adam, because I agree. And if you talk about venues that have have a history, that venue, the people who were dragged in there whether rightfully or wrongfully, they did not have a good experience in that jail. Wait, you mean
1: the people who saw your show?
7: <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I have to admit, I was surprised because I had expected more. I had expected those walls to have held on to the sorrow and the trauma of that venue and I didn't find that but yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you, Adam. I thought that would have been the case. I will
1: say something quickly. I, you, I had to wait in that kind of watch room in the 1990s era police room. Yeah. Because at one point through the show, you led people through, and then I stood up and started screaming, and I delivered a monologue. And I had to hide under the desk. I almost missed my line one night because I was so relaxed under there, I fell asleep. <laughs> this, this place did not have any bad juju for me, but... You know.
6: Well, that's what was really funny by the end of it, is that at the start it has it has this very, like, ominous, heavy presence. It's made of, like, blue stone. Yeah. Like, it's, it's cold. It's freezing in there. Everything's made of iron as well. It's, like, iron and stone and, like... And by the end of two very successful seasons, uh, spending a time with yourself, Paul, Tegan, and, like, some wonderful people, I have such fond memories of being in jail. <laughs> Those memories will haunt me for the rest of my life. You know
1: what I like? I like, in, you know, in the poltergeist, how that woman comes in and she basically exercises the demon. She cl- she kind of cleans the bad juju from the space. I yep. like to think that Watson gave the Old Melbourne Jail a spiritual
7: enema. With this two jail seasons. is clear. That's right. There we go. <laughs> Adam and I were actually approached after our season at the Old Melbourne Jail.
6: What's interesting about the Watch House situation is that we did, possibly have the um option well not option but we explored the op- um trying to do it again um and uh the guy i think his name was simon who originally gave us the space gave it like we did a great deal and he gave us the whole space and let us use the whole thing uh and then when we approached them again they were like we don't know who this simon person is fuck off yeah. no, <laughs> no no actually that uh, was i don't true. know if he died or was a ghost or anything but it, there was just like they just didn't have, like, the, the new team didn't have his details and they, they, it had changed over, like, team structures or something. And in the whole bureaucracy of it, he became a ghost. What, did he exist? And it just, it just turns out their paperwork is bad. But, <laughs> but, if, like, imagine if not.
1: <laughs> so, is the old Melbourne jail haunted? After talking with Troy and Adam and Tegan, I honestly don't know. But if you're so inclined, you can head across to their website and book yourself a tour. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you later this week for Loose Ends. Bye, everyone.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,